Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Tax Byte podcast series. My name is Peter, and I'm very well happy to welcome you um, to this last episode, this final episode in our series about the future proofing of the statutory reporting function. For this last episode, I have with me in my virtual recording studio, Jorgen Brotaars, still leading our global compliance network within PwC. Lorenz de Bot, our expert in statutory transformations from a people, process, and technology perspective, as well as Kim de Smet, who you know from the previous uh, podcasts, of course, and who is a member of our global Stat Center of Excellence. Now, we have reached the final episode in this series about the future proofing of statutory reporting function. That means that we have already covered a lot in the previous episodes. We had a look, look at the typical challenges and, and how you can create a framework to define the best suited operating model. We have talked about the data strategy and how to ensure um, that you can maintain dual gap ledgers. Um, we talked about meeting the local stat and tax requirements. We gave some use cases of a tax ledger and pillar two. So I'm wondering, Jorgen, what can we still cover in this last session? Thanks, Peter. And today we want to bring this all together uh, through some real life examples. Uh, we want to give some insights in how companies can deliver in practice on the transformation of the stat and tax function. Uh, the objective is to give you insights on how to start and structure stat and tax transformation projects, on how to manage the execution, and on how to ensure continuity during the transformation. And then finally, we will obviously also look at the future once uh, a transformation project has been completed. Now, during the previous episodes, we shared important topics to consider in a step function transformation. And as you will have noticed, there are quite some elements to, to be taken into account. It will be key to create a solid transformation plan, taking into account all interdependencies. And of course, to not jeopardize in any way your ongoing obligations. I know it sounds scary and like mission impossible, but it certainly is not. With the right approach, it can be done delivering on all your business objectives. Okay, thanks, Jorgen. Now I'm curious, eh? and uh, it sounds like we have done this before. So can we talk a little bit more about uh, the use cases that there have been? What are the typical characteristics of a company that goes through this journey? Lawrence, can you, can you help us with that? Of course, Peter. Let me start by saying that it's hard to define the one company that goes through this journey. There is no real definition, but we can certainly provide some characteristics or underlying challenges which you can recognize. To name a few, um, the need for process optimization, leveraging, for instance, technology. Just think of increased standardization of processes, better usage of technology to support, for instance, the gap to stat conversion or the stat production and many more. Secondly, there is the need for better governance and control. This often translates itself in the desire to better manage timelines, to avoid penalties, or even worse, having business impact by not being able, for instance, to go for certain tenders if statutory financial statements will be late. Another characteristic is the need to reduce costs. I don't think that needs a lot of explanation. This is what we see across most organizations today. These are, a common, these are common examples of what we would call direct drivers for a stat transformation. But there are also more indirect drivers where the stat function needs to adapt 
because of other changes in the organization or in the business context. Think about the introduction of new requirements such as Pillar 2 or ESG. Suddenly the stat function becomes part of the solution because we see, for example, tax functions requiring faster and better access to the stat data to be able to provide potential Pillar 2 provisions. Another indirect driver is the centralization of finance functions, which is also probably the most common driver for stat transformations. As clients centralize their finance function, you often see some or a lot of in-territory infrastructure no longer being there. And then you, of course, need to rethink your stat function. So to summarize, stat functions are required to deliver more with less. Are there any of these elements that sound familiar to our audience? Then they are probably in a position to question whether a stat and tax function shouldn't be transformed or isn't being transformed as we speak. And the same diversity we also see in our use cases. We assist clients in different industries that are on different levels of maturity when it comes to their organizational structure. There is no one size fits all, but there are elements that we see coming back and there is a common blueprint that we can start from. Also, the outcome might differ from organization to organization. While one multinational is looking to transform to fully outsource stat and tax activities, the other could be considering a fully insourced model. Lately, we also see so-called hybrid models gaining popularity, and we understand why. It offers you a means to accelerate your transformation agenda, but at the same time, keep options open for how you want to evolve your stat function in the longer term. Okay, thanks, Lawrence. That that's clear for me. Let's say that some of the elements that you mentioned are indeed recognizable for our audience, and they they do consider such a transformation project. Can you explain a bit where do they start? What what should you consider for when you want to start such a journey? Well, a typical starting point is, of course, as for a lot of these things, a business case to prove the need for transformation and to prove the value to your internal and external stakeholders. As with all business cases, you just need to have in mind a common structure, which is describing the initiative, the strategic context, the return on investment, the assist versus the to-be model, etc. For the more strategic points, the more strategic context, mainly think about what we said around the global evolution and the impact of technology, standardization and centralization on your stat and tax function. And think about the indirect drivers we mentioned before. When it comes to, for example, the return on investment of the project, it's important to remember that not having the benefits of a well-structured stat and tech process comes with unnecessary costs. Think about more resource-consuming audit process, labor time spent on manual reconciliations due to the lack of good quality data. These are all activities that are causing costs, costs that your competitors are potentially not incurring and that they can spend on more value-added activities. Another important topic is, of course, the description of the SS model. Purely looking at statutory financial statements, it's important to focus on the buckets as described in the previous episodes. Kim, maybe you can elaborate on that a bit. Uh, sure. Uh, thanks, Laura. So indeed, maybe a quick recap in this respect. Um, we had two sub-processes identified. The first one was the day-to-day the -day gap accounting and getting the statutory trial balance in place. Um, here, you will look at the different models currently in place in order to get uh, the statutory balances per legal entity. 
It can be through dual ledger accounting, as we saw, but it can also be through a gap to set conversion at the end of the year. Um, important to consider here is the need for locally compliant ledgers, assets of books, um, which is more than just maintaining correct local gap numbers, but also covers the more format-related requirements like local language, sequential numbering, local specific reports and e-ledgers and so on. Um, so for this one, it's, it's crucial checking these local requirements in each country and at least validating that you've got them covered. Um, any transformation project is the perfect opportunity to reassess the level of compliance in place. Um, you certainly want to avoid a situation where after transformation, project, uh, you have a text audit, and it appears that you are not in line with these uh, important local requirements. Um, this is also what we covered indeed in, in episode three of, of this episode in more detail. And then the second uh, sub-process is the actual stat production. So once you have the stat trial balance in place, you need to gather the, the remaining supplemental data for the disclosure notes to the financial statements in each country. And then you, of course, actually need to prepare these. So also here's some important topics to consider, like um, who will be doing this? Is it an internal or an external team through specific streamlined technology or with country-specific solutions um, and so on? Thanks, Kim, for recapping also uh, what, what we discussed in, in, in one of the previous uh, sessions, of course. Um, so the definition, uh, as to the definition of the to-be model, we do that in, in, in the two buckets, stat accounting and stat production. But are there other things that, that the audience should take into account here? Well, those buckets will provide you with the activities that you need to capture. But it's important to note that you do not need to describe the old process in the way it will be done going forward. What do we mean with that? Well, as said in the previous question, it's important to use this momentum and to validate the local requirements against the new model, and if needed, adjust the model to it. Let's say you have a model in mind where you're going to fully insource the stat process by leveraging dual gap accounting and a technology such as Workiva to get to a set of statutory financial statements. Within the day-to-day -day gap accounting and within the stat production buckets, you need to make sure you cover the three areas we previously talked about. These three areas are people and organization, process and data, and technology. In the first bucket, people and organization, what can you cover there? Well, for example, the definition of the roles and the responsibilities of the different team involved. Who is going to do what going forward? which teams are there in the new model. And this description will allow you to identify blind spots, if any. For example, think about centrally preparing the statutory financial statements. In which language does that need to happen? The team that is preparing that, do they know that language? And as indicated above, don't forget to validate the local requirements. In this specific example, that can mean that you need to check if you're even allowed to prepare the accounting records or the statutory financial statements outside the home country. In the second bucket, process and data, examples of what you can or should consider are, for example, gap adjustments. On what frequency do you identify and post them? Can you find any standardization across countries, across adjustments? Furthermore, within this piece, it's also good to cover the different reports that are needed locally. Think about the fact file in France, the softy file in Poland. In the 2B model, 
you need to question whether you have the capabilities to populate all required data fields. But also, does your system have the right functionality to create the required reports? And then the last bucket to be described is technology. Again, referring to the two main buckets, stat accounting and stat production. What technology will be used in which process step? And how do these technologies interact? Is the data from the statutory accounting automatically pushed to the statutory production engine? How does the process look like? As you will need to ensure that both are aligned, but at the same time, avoid repeating activities in two systems. Okay, um, thank you, Lauren. So we have now the description of the initiative and the strategic contexts. We described the as-is versus the to-be model. We considered all areas involved. So we can start, right? And the benefits must be the only thing that is still missing. No, Jorgen? Uh, not really, Peter. Uh, th there is one remaining key element to consider, which will be crucial for the success of your transformation project. And that is the transition. Obviously, you need to have, uh, you need to assure to have a good transition program in place, supported by the right methodologies and tools. Uh, we, for instance, at PwC, we've got a dedicated team to support any transition in the context of connected compliance of our client. And this will include program management, monitoring and escalation, and obviously the broader stakeholder management. And, and quite some parties are typically involved indeed in the transition. Uh, but maybe that's something for a future session, Peter. But for now, I would like to spend a bit more time on the opening balance reconciliation. Why? Because to me, this is the key to success for any stat transformation. Get it right, and you will create great value. Get it wrong, and you will have made a lot of changes, but not solved the underlying issues. So, the opening balance reconciliation. What does this cover, and why is it important? The opening balance reconciliation, it, it's a walkthrough from the group balances currently in your system, in your ERP, to the local gap balances used for the last official financial statements. And as described in previous sessions, there can be all type of different, different adjustments leading to differences between those two sets of numbers. Often we find clients in situations where they don't have a transactional reconciliation between these two sets. Typical issues coming out of that are not being able to explain certain balances during a tax audit, the risk of entering adjustments not or twice. So if you want to evolve to a future-proof statutory reporting function, it's key to have governance on this process and to structurally capture these adjustments while avoiding risks such as, for instance, losing audit trails. So what needs to be done? You need to assure that as part of the knowledge capture process, you identify, you document, and you test any correction made between the data in your ERP and the amounts that end up in your statutory financial statements. This will require tie-outs to both the ERP system as well as um, those, those final verse, uh, versions uh, officially filed uh, of the statutory financial statements. What that also needs to be done is that for any correction identified, that may be a mapping, it can be an adjustment, you need to assure that supporting documentation is available of good quality and that you feel technically comfortable with the correction being made. And you analyze how and when this adjustment will potentially in the future need to be reversed. And then finally, probably you will end up with gaps or adjustments where the background is no longer available. 
For these, you're going to need to set up a separate process, combining both the business knowledge within the organization, as well as broad accounting and tax technical expertise. <clears throat> because you will need to decide whether, for instance, adjustments you don't have supporting documentation for anymore, whether they need to be reversed. You need to understand the tax implications and what have you. So all of this, it seems a lot of hard work. But the good news is that you are able to do the opening balance reconciliation process in parallel or even in anticipation of a broader transformation project. So nothing stops you from starting this exercise tomorrow, especially if you can leverage the right tools and if you have access to accelerators to support you. Well, thank you, Jorgen. A lot to consider and manage, uh, and, and for sure, not something you change overnight. Um, uh, last question that I still have, uh, Lawrence, is when you have done all that work, how do you determine the cutoff point and when you actually make the move from the old process to the new one? Very good question, Peter. And I don't think there is one answer to that. Um, there is not going to be one answer for all your legal entities. So firstly, a waived approach is, is what we recommend. So don't uh, move all legal entities from the old model to the new model at the same point. And then secondly, when moving legal entities, consider the statutory deadline and the impact of the statutory audit process. What's the, the typical SFS cycle you go through and how much time does that take? And of course, not only a waived approach, but also a backup scenario. Make sure there is a backup plan if the new model is not there within due time. This backup plan can look different. You can go for parallel runs, whereby the old model is performed and the new model runs in the background. The old model will then prevail, while it's also an opportunity to check if the new model comes to the same outcome. Another option is to have a service provider helping you out with the transformation and the ability to jump in when you can't timely manage the transformation yourself. So definitely a lot to consider. No one recommendation I would like to finally make. Please reach out if you're considering a transformation project. We're happy to chat over a coffee. Well, that's a good recommendation. Thank you, Lawrence. Also, thank you, Jorgen and Kim, because we have reached the end of this final episode. I hope for the audience that you have found some inspiration in, in the different discussions. And uh, I would say uh, as a final remark, eh, remind uh, what Lawrence just said. And, and if you need any help, reach out to the to the Global Stat uh, team here in Belgium. And uh, they're more than happy to help you, even over a chat over a coffee. Thank you all and hope to see you in the next episode of the Tax Byte podcast series. Thank you.